You're listening to The Interview. In-depth retailer interviews with inspirational people. The Retail Exchange is brought to you in association with Visual Thinking. Inspiring retail performance. Hello, I'm Jason Bradbury and welcome to this special tech festival episode of the interview series from the Retail Exchange podcast. As we talk tech with senior industry professionals and how it's shaping the future of retail. There are some big tech debates in the retail industry right now, from the evolution of AI to the future of brand loyalty, consumer ownership of data rights, and what about retailers using your DNA? With his BS radar firmly switched on, David Coombs, Head of Strategic Services at Shale, sorts the myths from the reality. David, welcome. I'm joined by David Coombs, uh, Head of Strategic Services for Shale. Um, I guess Shale, David, are best described as as a data-driven marketing agency is that right yeah yeah definitely yeah could you put a bit of meat on the bone yeah so we um we started our life uh out of seoul in south korea sort of um born out of samsung so uh for us data and technology has always been core within our dna um and we've added in the layers of creativity and effectively as an as an agency we look at how we can occupy that space where we can bring consumer um behavior together along with data creativity and technology and create experiences that live in the real world that help uh, ultimately are the brands that we work on behalf of sort of drive purchase drive intent whatever it is that we're trying to do but it's it's really powering that that intersection of data creativity and technology through that samsung heritage that we have and could you explain a bit more about that Samsung heritage? So what is it about the South Korean approach to consumer electronics and technology in the home that is at the heart of what you do? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, and the, the the South Korean story in general is a fascinating one that sort of um, adds into this because if you look at them at the end of the, uh, the Korean War, you know, South Korea was one of the poorest countries on the planet. Now, if you look at them sort of 50, 60 years on, I think they're sort of seven or eighth largest by GDP. And that's, um, you know, that's obviously been heavily driven by their investment into technology and, you know, brands like Samsung pushing that forward. But it's also, there's a there's a spirit that kind of encapsulates it. You know, we call it Tuhon, which is a, a Korean word, which is the spirit of a challenger. It's that sort of notion of never stand still, keep pushing forwards, try new things. If they don't work, that's fine, but just keep moving forward and doing stuff. And that um, as a, I guess, culturally and, and as, a, as a thought and a spirit really resonates within Chael as an agency. So that's kind of how we really push forward and keep sort of trying to innovate within this space. It's sort of love inherent it. within us. The mythical samurai warrior spirit. Very much so. Um, although the South Korean version, yeah. <laughs> Apart from that, really good. <laughs> how often do you go there? Uh, probably personally about once a year, but we have people going out all the time. So, I mean, our head office is based out there. We have centers of innovation and development out there. So there's, there's always people moving backwards and forwards between sort of not only London, but all the locations around the world and, and Seoul to make sure that we're, we're all aligned in what we're doing and sort of take learnings because it is a tech hotbed. Um, you know, and they're where they are from an innovation perspective is streets ahead of other places. No, it's extraordinary. I remember going there, um, as a journalist several years ago and the, 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 uh, the public Wi-Fi speed was something like four orders of magnitude quicker than my yeah. own home broadband. Yeah. And that was the free one that you got on the bus. Yeah, it's insane, isn't it? No, it's, it's incredible. Um, I want to talk about the, uh, the, the Samsung KX concept yeah. store, which I know yeah. that you were a part of. What, what mm. part um, 
did Chow play in, in, in putting that together? So we played quite a, a big part in that. So we did a lot of work around actually coming up with the, the concept itself of what KX should be and what it should stand for. A lot of the design work in terms of how shoppers should move around or how consumers should move around within the experience itself um, and what that flow needs to look like. And then uh, the actual physical sort of design and build of lots of the installations that went into the, into the store itself. I shouldn't keep calling it a store. It's not a store. It's an experience space. But you see, the thing is that you smile when you say that. So I know that's like, that's the company mindset coming down. Is it a store? It's not, no, because it, it's not aimed at actually selling you stuff. It's aimed at showing how Samsung products can come together to deliver different experiences, either in the home or out and about. Do you know what? I love, I know I love this. Let me tell you, I've got, because I'm, I'm old, mm. I've got this sort of like I wasn't library. Of, I was just, mm. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Now, you, you're a bit slow. You, normally, <laughs> if it's quickest, it's more sincere. Um, you know, the old mind's full of random rubbish, but this is quite relevant. It's called The Wonderful Paradox, and I, I came across it when I was a salesman in a shop in Next in the 80s, And because uh, I've always been a geek. No matter what I'm doing, I geek out on mm. it, right? And I was geeking out on sales technique, and The Wonderful Paradox has it that what we don't want to do is get anything for free because we understand that there is a payoff, that paper is a tree. You understand what I mean? And so if you're, as a salesman or person, if your aim is not to sell, mm. uh, it's to give an experience to people, you can see where I'm going with this, mm. then, then they will want to give you something back because, you know, paper for a tree, yep. tree for a paper. And uh, what the customer can give you back, of course, is, is, is a sale, yep. right? So there is a lot of, uh, even then, there's a, there's a lot of sort of wisdom around not looking at customers as an opportunity for what you want, yeah. but looking at as uh, them walking through the, over the threshold as an opportunity to give them something. Mm. Um, and I really like the idea, and, and I've not been to KX. I'm really excited yeah, about going, go. and we'll be talking about it on this podcast. And I'm really interested to see if it kind of ticks that, that experiential box. To, to what extent do you think it's a model for the future of all of our high streets? Yeah, that's a really, that is a really interesting question. And I think... Um, it's no, it's no new news and no surprise that retailers are struggling at the moment in the high street. I think they're looking to change their footprint. And I think that is largely borne out of the fact that most retailers have too many shops. Um, you know, the rise of e-commerce, the rise of, you know, obviously people like Amazon, you know, but ASOS and fashion, et cetera, et cetera, have made it super easy for us to get hold of products um, through online channels. And, and what this has left is, is a huge footprint for most traditional sort of bricks and mortar retailers. And they're struggling to figure out do I invest in my e-commerce? Do I invest in my bricks and mortar? Are they competing with each other? Yes, yeah, And, hard, then, and it? it's, re it's really, really difficult. So what I think you'll start to see is a reduction of the overall footprint of people's high street, but not that it's nowhere near the death of the high street. It's completely opposite, I think. Oh, it's the re it's the re I think it's the reinvention and rejuvenation yeah, of it, it but it will come back in a very different form. So you'll have... You will have more experience style stores where people oh, can go it. and see that kind of thing. But you will also still have stores where it is possible just to go in and transact very quickly and buy and get out again. So I think the, yeah, yeah. the uh, ones that are struggling are the ones where they're trying to mix everything together because you're not quite sure what you're supposed to be doing in I those think, places. You know? so, I think I would equate it with vinyl. You know how we all thought vinyl was dead? Mm. And weirdly enough, it took the ability to get any track ever recorded in a second, which is effectively where we are now, to bring vinyl back. Yeah, yeah. So it's really exciting. It yeah. means that, that rather than the sort of... Because let's face it as well, if you've been to one high street in the UK, you've been to them all, haven't you? Pretty much. And pretty yet much we all get moment. on a bus and we go to York yeah. to go and see the, um, the, you know, the independent, unusual... Shops, so or yep. we go to Shoreditch if it's, if it's in London or whatever yep. the equivalent is yep. up in Manchester. 
you know, and and um, and yet, strangely enough, the main high street hasn't cottoned on to what it is about those environments that is mm. that is really special. And and for me, KX, although it's weird because I've not actually been, I've yeah. just read all about yeah. it and poured over the information online. Yeah, um, it does feel to me like it's like it's going down the right route. Yeah, very much so, very much so. But I think it is important to remember along along the way that you know ultimately consumers do still want to be able to buy stuff quickly and simply so i think it is it is about getting that balance right i think definitely um retailers are going to find places and find ways of showcasing the experiences and how you can sort of immerse people in the world of the products and the benefits uh, thereof of those and and actually create sort of um, shared spaces where people can come together, you know, almost build communities around those kind of places. But I think it's equally important to ensure that you have, you know, people still want to buy products and still want to be able to get in and out and do that with the least amount of friction and hassle possible. And people like to be able to touch and pick things up. So you also got to cater for that as well. They don't necessarily coexist in the same space, but I think you read you rework your footprint so there are places that you can go and do that and there are places you can experience well, there's things. room for everybody and what technologies would you say are making that that e- ease of purchase possible yeah it's a good question so what we're trying to do at the moment we're spending a lot of time is looking at how we can um leverage the i guess for want of a, a, an expression the full customer journey so we understand that people are may start their research into products and things online and look at brand websites or you know other to understand a little bit more about the product then they may well go into a store to touch and feel it and then they may well come back out and order it online or wherever they find it the cheapest so what we're trying to do at the moment is find ways to link that journey together so that we can understand if somebody comes into a Samsung in particular, you know, a Samsung experience store or KX or even a, what we would call a shopping shop in John Lewis or something like that, that we can understand, have they been on samsung.com? What have they looked at? And how can we therefore tailor the experience they receive when they come into a Samsung bricks and mortar store to make it more relevant to them, understand the products they may have looked at and actually sort of nudge them into, into purchase or more useful kind of experiences when they go into those stores. So we have a number of proprietary products that we've built. So things like um, digital wall bays where we're able to link the content that has been viewed online to the content that's uh, received in store. Um, we're using Samsung ID to link together those journeys as well. So if you're in the members um, uh, app already, so say you already own a, a Samsung product of some sort, we take your ID, understand your movements, and then are able to tailor experiences in store. So we're looking at how, can we, how we can join that sort of data journey together yeah. and have a single customer. It's very difficult. It's really difficult. Really and difficult. But it's you know what? Because we don't, as customers, we don't care, do we, about no those loyalties? I mean, I you know I, I am loyal to my Android device, yeah. like I was loyal to my suite of Apple devices, yeah. uh, iOS devices. Um, you know, a couple of years back, but actually, what I'd really like is for is for those is is for movement between those platforms yeah. to be seamless. And, Absolutely. And I'm interested to ask a question back to mm. KX. Yeah. Do you have non-Samsung products in there? No. No. So it's either Samsung-owned or Samsung-powered products. So where they, you know, so for example, the you know the headphones. Because I think um, that has to happen. You see, yeah. if what we want is this notion where you're giving the customer an experience, you're not primarily trying to sell to them. Yeah. And we believe, for argument's sake, in the philosophy that that will actually ultimately result in a sale. Yeah. Right? Um, then that needs to happen. There yep. needs to be a broader approach to, to you know, brand loyalty. And, and I agree. I, I get, in, in terms of where Samsung are, I know that you're not here to represent Samsung, mm, mm. Um, but you did start out as a Samsung uh, yep. concept. And, yep. um, so so uh, Samsung actually did that quite well. And the, the Internet of Things is, is a good example of that. 
Yeah, very much so. And they, I mean, they own a company called uh, Smart Things, which they bought uh, 2014, I think. I don't quote me on that, but somewhere around that, which is now part of the Samsung family. Um, and that, I think, is, uh, to your point, is, is, a, is a huge step in that direction. It is. So, you know, Smart Things really is just being about the, the center point for all of your connected devices, regardless of you know, brand, platform, et cetera. And, you know, and it really is a, an impressive app. Um, and it, like I say, it allows you to, if you've got a Philips TV or a, you know... Um, a Hue bulb. A Hue bulb, whatever. Yeah, you can yeah. bring all that together with your, uh, you know, your Samsung soundbar and everything else that you might have and bring it all together into one ecosystem. So I think very much that is the future of how, because people don't want to be locked into walled gardens of one platform or another you know you want to be able to pick and choose the best products at a few and then expect them all to work together i would argue actually that that, that certainly those that owns a lot of say a samsung smartphone certainly don't want to be in that wall garden no. it might even be the reason why they've gone for android in the first Quite. place yeah because of the openness of the of the platform in, in in the first place as you say so you mentioned this, the data-driven approach mm. is key to what you do obviously yep. um I'm interested to know what you think about the future of data. There's a lot of talk around mm. privacy and about mm. uh, consumers taking back ownership of their own data. Yep. What, 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 shed some light. Yeah, we've, well, we're just in the process of doing a, a big piece of research on sort of data and personalization and consumer sort of um, behaviors and uh, motivations around that, that side of things. But um, some of the headlines that came out of it were, were quite interesting. So um, we did find actually that Consumers now are a lot more savvy about their data. They realise the the power they have with their data. Um, but they're a bit sort of ambivalent when it comes to sharing it with brands, mostly because brands have done a pretty poor job of their either the experiences they've created with that data... <laughs> yeah, are irrelevant. ...or completely irrelevant, or yeah. they've just been sort of... Um, irresponsible with it yeah. and it's ended up in places it shouldn't have done or in news for purposes it shouldn't be used for so um but actually when you actually when you sort of go under the the, the surface of it a little bit more and, ask, and dig around and ask a few more questions people are very happy to share their data um but they do expect a a decent sort of experience off the back of it they're not sure what that should look like that's a crucial factor so and i think that for you know you can't ask you know, back to that classic Henry Ford quote, isn't it? If you ask consumers what they wanted, they, he said, faster horses. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So they don't necessarily know what they want. Um, so it's up to brands to show what you can do with that in a relevant, useful, contextual way. You're think- so right. That's the, Those are the wisest words I've heard on this debate. <laughs> Genuinely, you're absolutely bang on because the the previously all that we got was, was like, uh, well, I was like, data, what data? What, I'm valuable, what my... My purchase of trousers and my mm. playlist are relevant to you? Oh, wow. And you're using them for what? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, was, it wasn't even a conversation. Yeah. It was like we were all in this data-driven age and we hadn't even been consulted. Yeah. And, but you're also right in that I am happy to give my data. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think um, it's interesting when you have brands like Samsung, who, like hardware manufacturing companies who want to put things into your home. That's where that, I mean, you use the word trust, it's, you know, it's, it's absolutely crucial, but responsibility as well. Um, you know, because if you take, say, I know everyone likes slamming them, but Facebook, for example, who have, have necessarily not had the best um, run of acting responsibly with people's data over the last couple of years, you know, they are trying desperately to shore themselves up in the connected home space and put hardware into, you know, portal and things like that, going into people's homes. But you know, people are very, very anti-Facebook having a always-on listening device in their home because of how they've previously acted yeah, responsibly. Whereas 
Amazon, you know, people are happier with. You know, Samsung, people are happier Isn't with. Isn't it funny? It's, so much about perception. So much about perception, but it, it's very easy to break that. And I think if you, you know, if you don't act responsibly in this behaviour, sorry, in this, um, in this sort of category, in this space, people will just suddenly switch over to something else because there is choice. I mean, that, that is the great thing. Um, but yeah, the, I think another interesting sort of little snippet that came out was um, there's a bit of a, a trend of people or supermarkets or nutrition companies asking for people's DNA. Yeah. Oh, really? So they can try and match uh, food plans really? against any um, uh, sort of your, I guess, your sort of DNA profile and against any sort of conditions that may be linked to that DNA profile. But and for what purpose? To help the customer? Tailored nutrition plans, yeah. So you, you can have a tailored nutrition plan by sharing your DNA with certain sort of supermarkets or online. The problem with that plans. is that, and, is, and I know quite a lot about this, um, I won't bore you my personal history, but all of my family, have, we've had our DNA yeah. uh, sequenced. And um, it, w- what's interesting in that is it actually, it has in- interesting similarities with the early days of, of sharing your data, mm. uh, your digital data, um, in that it's not the sharing of the data that's the issue, it's how it's interpreted. Yeah. And the interpretation of someone's DNA, is, as you can probably guess, is in its infancy right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and I, I get almost sort of monthly upgrades to the... Uh, the sequencing service because they've got a new interpretation of right, right. a particular snip. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't right now be ticking the yes, you can have my DNA box. No, 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 but I was quite interested in this research because it came back at a, well, it's definitely it go a relatively, way, so but, 33% yeah. in our research said they would be happy to share their DNA with the supermarket. No. Which I thought was extraordinarily high because that was about, you know, that was that was about as high as, as it got for, any responses, um, but healthcare we found was generally one of those areas where people were happier to share data, especially if they thought it was for a communal good. So, you know, if people sharing their health data helped a bigger cause, people were very happy to do that. So, yeah, interesting Amazing sort of motivations is. and behaviours sort of exist uh, exist around it. And I think we're still working our way through exactly I mean, exactly what that looks like. The question I'd like to see the answer to would be: um, uh, How happy are you now in 2019 to give your data? freely mm. um, um, and how would you feel about that data including your dna yeah that would be a really interesting it would be questions yeah it really would because i mean it's the most personal of personal data isn't it? yeah in fact i would i would say hang on to your dna yeah. <laughs> yeah. because the, the information about your dna because um because in the future it's going to be worth uh, it's going to be worth an enormous amount of money yeah you know, because if you want to understand someone's future, you need to be able to look at one dimension. Yeah. Is is their you know is their DNA, and it's it's that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it is, and I think the control of that is is huge. You know, people want to be able to understand where their data is going. You know, Google and Alexa are allowing you to sorry, Google with Home and obviously Amazon with Alexa are now allowing you to sort of ask Google or ask Amazon to delete your your search history or delete that conversation. Uh, and expect it to sort of have it removed from the from the ether somewhere. Quite then, how effective but, but, that's going to be. Whose definition of delete? You know. So right. the the next, I mean, so the next vibes, the next situation is going to be uh, okay. Google, although sorry, because actually, if I say that on the podcast, everyone's <laughs> light Google up. Home will light <laughs> up. Okay, AI, I'd like to order some pancake mix, mm. and then the voice would come back. Uh, Jason, I'm not sure you should be eating pancakes. And then, well, and then I'd say, well, well, no, what are you talking about? I'm getting the gluten-free with the... Yes, but there's a, there's a snip 
in the whatever okie dokie 2000 you know dna thing that we did last month that suggests that you might be hyperglycemic or mm. whatever or that it runs in your family or your grandmother had this so it is actually a real thing that it's fascinating very much so yeah very much we did a we did a talk a while back about ai being the gatekeeper of your home in the future and to, to your point exactly you know so if you have even if you're trying to do something simple like lose weight and you have, you know, your connected scales connected to your, you know, Amazon <laughs> Alexa it. and that no. kind of stuff. <laughs> and then you try and order Krispy Kreme donuts, you AI oh, tells yeah. you you can't do it. But even better, you open the fridge, right? And you go for the milk. Ah, uh, uh, so <laughs> where's that voice come from? It's full fat, yeah. put it back. Exactly. No, put it back now. Yeah. And, and you'll, you'll opt to have, like, mom, won't you? Or, or you know, grandma. Yeah. And, and based on your choice, you'll, you'll get a, a firmer response than you would if you'd gone for kind of like, you know, saucy butler. Yeah. You'll start cheating on your own home, won't you, after a while? It'd be like trying to do things under the radar and hope, you, <laughs> hope nobody notices. <laughs> I never thought we'd be talking about this, but I'm absolutely loving it. Okay, look, we're, we're getting near the end. Of all yep. the tech challenges right now, what, what do you think are the most important for brands to uh, grasp? I think... There's a whole raft of different technologies out there, some you know, gimmicky, some uh, not so. But I think uh, the most crucial thing that brands and retailers need to do is just put themselves right at the heart of the customer. Remember what it is that the customer wants. I think there's so, so many brands just start creating things because they can and expect, um, you know, expect consumers to just go along with that ride. But if you'll start, to your point right at the start, you know, consumers aren't loyal to brands anymore. It's just that that's not really a thing. Maybe one or two brands have that, but mo most brands don't have that. The starting point of the consumer is I don't care about that brand. I don't care about any brands. And if that's, if that's your understanding of the consumer mentality, then it starts to shape how you try and create experiences in store, online, whatever that might look like, because you're not going to get people to go through step after step after step of intricate thing just because you can. Um, and I think that that remembering that consumer motivation, what it is that consumers want from you and what you can offer consumers in return, that's your key starting point. I think that's such a forgotten piece. Brilliant. David, I really enjoyed that chat. Yeah, it was good. David Coombs from Chow. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast in association with Visual Thinking. Stay up to date with new podcast episodes by subscribing online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening.